My topic today is God's gift of healing through the eyes of grace. The need of the gift, the origin of the gift, the purpose of the gift, and the reception of the gift. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word and study about heaven's gift of healing, we pray that you'd open our eyes, take us from the dim miasma of earth, and transport us to the heavenly portals of the eternal world. Give us a new view of the need of the gift, the origin of the gift, the purpose of the gift, and the reception of the gift. We pray thee in Christ's name. Amen. The dawn of the 19th century was filled with promise. The Union of States were now organized into a loosely knit conglomerate. And America was rejoicing in the presidency of George Washington. Then something extremely serious happened that hung like a dark shadow over America. The beloved president was ill. And America wondered what would happen to their leader. When the White House staff learned that George Washington was ill, the first thing they did was call for a bleeder, not a physician. And as the bleeder appeared in Washington's room, he quickly determined that what was needed was to slit the president's wrists and bleed him because his fever was quite high. That indicated, of course, in in the medical parlance of the 19th century, that he had too much vitality. If you have a high temperature, you have too much vitality, the only way to cure for that is bleeding. So they bled him and drained 14 ounces of blood. When his physician came there the next morning, he recognized that he needed a consult, so-called two of the most renowned physicians of Washington, D.C. Before they came, the physician bled Washington again. When the two learned physicians came, the three in consult, because, of course, three are better than one, they determined that they would bleed him a third time, this time, 32 ounces of blood were drawn. Washington was so weak that he pled with his physicians to let him die in peace, which they did. Now, the next morning after the death of George Washington, I want to read you the words that were carried in the popular press in Washington, D.C. The beloved leader has died. But he has received the best of medical care. His untimely death occurred in spite of all that human knowledge and medical genius could accomplish, and in spite of all the skill that we could do to arrest the course of the disease. What was the condition of medicine from 1800 to 1850? What was the climate in which the Adventist health message grew in? What was the backdrop to the origin of the Adventist health message? 
Now, we learn a little bit about that backdrop to the Adventist health message in a medical journal written in 1858. Dr. Washington Hooker wrote about modern medical practices in the 1800s and in the 1850s. And he listed five of the major medical practices in the 1850s. Number one, the combination of calomel and opium is of great value if you have an inflammatory disease. So if you lived in the 1850s, you would want this combination of opium and calomel. Secondly, mercury is one of the best remedies for chronic disorders. Mercury, one of the best remedies. Thirdly, bleeding is very effective if it's used judiciously. Fourthly, if a patient has a fever, you need to get them to sleep. And the best way to get them to sleep is give them alcohol because it will put your patients to sleep. Fifthly, if you have colic or of intermittent fever, use quinine, because quinine is the most effective. Dr. Chapman wrote a home remedy book in 1835. And he talked, in the home remedy book was called The Family Medicine Chest Dispensary. Every home in America should have the family medicine chest dispensary. Now, one of the remedies he gave there for lungs, for any lung diseases, was cigars and cigar smoke. And this is what the family medicine chest dispensary says, 1835. The patient should frequently draw in the breath of cigar smoke freely so the internal surface of air vessels may be exposed to the action of vapor. 1835. The Adventist health message grew in this context. If you don't understand the context, you can't fully understand the gift of the message. Now, in 1863, Dr. J. Boyd developed a unique treatment for children who had high fevers. If your child living in the 1850s and 60s, had a high fever. This is what Dr. J. Boyd said. Let the little patient be bled freely at the commencement of the case. Your child is three, four, five years old. You slit their wrists. Now, this is no offbeat medicine. Oh, it's offbeat medicine. That was on tape. I had to correct that. This is no offbeat medical cure. This is the popular medical cure of the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s. Okay? Let the little patient be bled freely at the commencement of the case. Then give the child, if they're three years old or upwards, wine mixed with a medic tartar. If necessary, repeat every half hour in the giving them wine with this emetic tartar. You know, emetic tartar, that's to get you to vomit. That's the whole function there. Uh, if the second dose does not cause vomiting, double the quantity of wine and emetic tartar, unless the case is very mild. The vomiting should be encouraged, if you have a fever, by warm drinks, that is warm drinks of this liquid of wine and tartar, and so the nausea is continued for a few hours. This is the setting of the Adventist health message. Now, can you understand why, from 1844 to 1863, many of the early Adventist leaders were incredibly sick and ill, and some of them were dying too young. In 1863, at the age of 34 years old, 
J. N. Andrews, who Ellen White said was the ablest man among us, who later wrote the history of the Sabbath, who memorized, you know, J. N. Andrews was asked, we've heard that you've memorized the whole Bible. Is that true? And Andrews' response was, I could not reproduce the Old Testament, but the New Testament I can certainly reproduce from memory if it were lost. Andrews spoke six languages. He taught himself Greek and he taught himself Hebrew. Ellen White said he's the ablest man among us. Here is where he was at 34 years old. I quote Andrews, My general strength is easily exhausted. I find it difficult to perform the labor which devolves upon me as a preacher, and sometimes I'm so sick I can't even get to the pulpit. That is 1863. Now, Andrews talks about his own health practices and his own health habits, and this is what he says. I suppose that old ageish cheese was good for digestion. So the older the cheese, the more moldy, the better I thought it was my digestion, so I consumed large quantities. As to meat, mince, pie, and sausage, I thought they were not harmful, they were healthful. I loved hot biscuits, butter, donuts, pickles, preserves, tea and coffee, and pork in every form I commonly used. But I was so sick at 34 years old, I could not even get to the pulpit. J. Loughborough. Now, Loughborough was on his deathbed, but do you know ultimately he lived to 92 years old because of God's gift of health? Here's what Loughborough said about his health. Loughborough begins to speak about his health, and uh, he says, Oh, Loughborough, when he was 18, had cigars prescribed by a physician, and he became hooked on cigars to cure up his lung deficiency. Loughborough goes on to say that um, he loved pork and pork gravy. And uh, he said he ate pork in the morning, meat uh, consumed in large amounts for noon, and uh, slices of pork and beef in the evening, ate almost no vegetables and almost no fruit. He He existed largely on a fat meat diet. Loughborough and Andrews and James and Ellen White, as well as many early Adventists from 1844 to 1863, were suffering the consequences of abusing their bodies, and they were dying. And heaven knew it must act. Heaven knew it must move. Heaven knew that if this message was to be taken to the ends of the earth, that if God did not intervene with these early Adventist pioneers, that many of those brilliant minds like J. N. Andrews would die young. So it was in June of 1863 at the home of Aaron Hillard at Oswego, Michigan, that a young woman now in her 30s knelt before God and prayed, and prayed for a light, and prayed that God would move. And heaven drew close on that beautiful June morning in Michigan. And and heaven was opened. And as it was, Ellen White was taken off in vision. And she wrote about that vision in her own handwriting. And we still today at the Ellen White estate in Washington, D.C., have the original letter the original document that Ellen White wrote as she described that vision that saved many an Adventist pioneer. And here's what she wrote. I was taken off in vision. 
I saw that it was a sacred duty to attend to our health, that this was a godly responsibility. She said, it is not safe nor pleasing to God to violate the laws of health. Then ask him to care for our health and keep us from disease when we are living contrary to our prayers. God showed her that there would be deleterious practices that would come in that would destroy the health of his people. He urged her to teach the value of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables, the value of exercise and fresh air and sunlight. It was at that meeting in 1863 that heaven gave the gift of health to this church to save early Adventist leaders from destruction. The message of health is not rigid legalism given by an austere God where men and women gloomily march to heaven with sad sack faces gritting their teeth, trying somehow to live in harmony with all those health laws that have been given so that they can be saved. The health message given to this church is a gift of grace. It's a gift given by a loving Heavenly Father because He desires for you and me to live the most abundant life possible. Now, a careful study of Scripture reveals there are, there are four basic purposes outlined in Scripture for the health message. I'd like to study them with you this morning. First, the health message is a gift given to God's people at a time of need. And it's given to accomplish four basic purposes as rooted in Scripture. Purpose number one, God is a God who longs to, to enable us to have good health and the best quality of life. The first purpose of the health message is to produce health. The first purpose of the health message is to produce health. God longs for you and me to live the most abundant life possible. The reason I follow the health message, one of the first reasons is because although I am 61 and am a troubadour around the world for the Lord, I would have a lot less energy than I do if I didn't. I want to be climbing mountains when I'm 90, playing tennis when I'm 100, if Jesus does not come. The purpose of the health message is not a legalistic requirement to grit your teeth so that you can finally, some way, somehow, achieve 347 health laws given by the Spirit of Prophecy. I don't know if there are that many. So that you can achieve heaven? Not at all. Every one of those principles is a gift of grace given to us by God who wants every nerve and tissue in our body to be healthful. Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, the 40th verse. Here it is. It's a classic. This enables us to understand the character of God in the light of health and all of God's commands. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. Why? Why do I keep his statutes? Why do I keep his commandments? Here it is. Deuteronomy 4, verse 40. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you. What's the purpose of all of God's commands? That it may do what? Somebody tell me. That they may do what? It may do what? Go well with you. God wants it to go well with you. And what else? And with your children after you. You follow the principles of health and built in, every, in the genetic fabric of your body. You pass on to your children and you bequeath to your children a positive health lifestyle. 
one of the greatest motivations to be done with drugs and alcohol and unclean foods and live a healthful lifestyle is to pass genetically on to the next generation. We are understanding some amazing things about genes today. One of the students in medical school shared with me that there is some evidence that's beginning to come into the, into the medical community that some forms of cancer may actually be genetically transmitted. Fascinating studies. That, that there may be a cancer gene in addition to lifestyle practices. Well, I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but I know this, proclivity to alcohol can, it can be genetic. I know this, that there can be various genetic predispositions to make people more capable of having a heart attack, what as physicians do you do? One of the first things you do when you talk to a patient, you say, when you take a history, you say, is there any heart attack history in your family, right? God says that if you follow the principles of health, that it may be well with you and your what? Children. To your children. God has a desire that we pass on to the next generation if Jesus tarries sound bodies and sound minds so that they can understand the things of eternity. But look here, verse 40, you'll therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord God is giving you for all time. God says, I give you my commands, my health message, so that it goes well with you today, but so that you prolong your days. The health message is a gift of grace. I love John chapter 10, verse 10. I've come that they might have life and they might have it what? More abundantly. Why did Jesus heal? One of the reasons Jesus healed is because he wants people to have the more abundant life now. What is the purpose of the Adventist health message? It is to give you and me and our patients the most abundant life possible. Today, today, it is not a denial to keep off alcohol and tobacco. It is not, it, oh sure, people are addicted, one must deny themselves. But it is the pathway to the happiest, fullest, most abundant life possible. Four biblical reasons why God gave the Seventh-day Adventist Church the health message. First, to live the most abundant life here, to be the radius, radiant, the, most, the happiest people here. When I see some proponents of the health message who look as if that they are ready to criticize you and examine every single, single thing you eat with a microscope, they are not very good advertisements for the most abundant life here. One of the reasons for the health message is so that you will radiate, so that I'll radiate health and joy and happiness and communicate that to everybody around. The second reason, God is a God that longs for us to have deeper fellowship with him. And since our health habits affect our spiritual life, God is interested in our health. The Holy Spirit does not communicate with your big toe. He communicates with your brain. And if the quality of food and the quality of, of your exercise program and the habits of your life pollute the blood going to your brain, the Holy Spirit cannot communicate as fully. There is an integrated and intimate relationship between the physical health and the spiritual health. And so, since human beings are not compartmentalized as Greek philosophy teaches, 
since we are not separate units of mind here and body here and spirit here. You know, the Greeks believed that uh, suicide, actually the Romans who accepted Greek philosophy, believed that suicide was an honorable release because you could do nothing to inhibit and affect the soul. So they said, well, if you die, the soul leaves the body and mind and body and soul are separate and distinct. Seventh-day Adventists believe that we're an integrated unit, that what affects your body and the quality of blood that goes to the brain affects your relationship with God. We understand the integrated unity of the physical, mental, and spiritual dimensions of life. We recognize that the brain is nourished by the quality of blood. It's nourished by the oxygen and good food and positive emotions. This is why Ellen Wright Ellen White writes, the hell should be as faithfully guarded as the character. No, I'd like to take an old familiar text and look at it with you in a new way that clearly points out the biblical foundation of the relationship between spiritual life and physical health. No, it's a text you know well, but you may have not looked at it in this context. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Old text in a new way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you which you have from God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now notice there are two key words in verse 19 and 20. The key word in verse 19 is temple. Temple. The key word in verse 20 is glorify or glory. Now, is the body a temple or a sanctuary? Is it? Is there a real sanctuary in heaven? So there's a sanctuary in heaven that is real. Is that only make-believe up in heaven? That's a real sanctuary up in heaven, isn't it? Is there a real God who fills the sanctuary up in heaven. When was there a sanctuary on earth? What book of the Bible do we find that in? Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy. God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may do what? Dwell among them. Did the Israelites make a sanctuary, did they? When the sanctuary was completed, was there an inauguration service? And what filled the sanctuary when there was an inauguration service? the glory or the presence of God. Seventh-day Adventists who have a sanctuary message believe that the body is the sanctuary on earth. So there is a sanctuary on earth today, a temple on earth, and that's your body and mine. Every time the Bible uses the word glory, it means one of two things, the honor of God or the presence of God. There are 390 passages in the Bible that talk about the glory, use the expression glory. Most of them are equated with the Old Testament. The glory of God fills the temple. And it deals with his honor or glory. When you read 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, in the context of the sanctuary, this is what it's saying. Let's go back and look at it. Verse 19. Do you not know your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? Just as there's a sanctuary in heaven where God's physical presence dwells, so your body is the sanctuary on earth 
to be filled with the glory of God as you live in harmony with the laws of health. So the Spirit of God that fills my body reveals God's glory through me as I live in harmony with the principles that God has given. Now, if you take that reasoning and turn to the book of Revelation, now notice we're studying the relationship between the sanctuary and the body temple and how, what that has to do with God's last day message. We are looking at the idea that God gave to the Seventh-day Adventist Church a health message because in that health message we are drawn to a deeper relationship with him so that his glory can fill our body temples and that glory of his presence can be manifest to the world. Revelation chapter 14, we look there at verse 6 and 7, the last message to the world. Then I saw another angel flying in the middle of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So here's God's last day message, goes to the ends of the earth. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and do what? Give glory to him. Why? Because the hour of his judgment is come. Where does the judgment take place? It takes place in where? In heaven, in what? In the sanctuary. So while God's judgment is going on in heaven, in the sanctuary, we on earth, in the sanctuary of our body temple, draw close to him and commit ourselves to him physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally so his glory can shine out of us. This is the uniqueness of the Seventh-day Adventist health message. The popular health reformers of the world know nothing about what we're talking about now. An end-time message in which the sanctuary of the heart is filled with the presence of God to reveal the glory of God to a waiting world in a watching universe. Now compare this to Revelation 18, verse 1. Revelation 18, verse 1. After these things I saw... See, this is in the crisis of this earth's history. Church and state unite. There are natural disasters. The economic bottom falls out. But what happens? These things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was filled with his what? Glory. What is the glory of God that fills the earth? It is the character of Christ revealed in the people of God who follow the principles of Jesus physically, mentally, spiritually at end time and reveal before a waiting world and a watching universe that God's way is right. So Seventh-day Adventists have a uniqueness in their health message. So what's the purpose of the health message? First, the purpose of the health message is to be healthy, to live an abundant life now in happiness. Second, the purpose of the health message is to draw us closer to the living Christ, to this Jesus, and give us a deep relationship with him so that our minds are clear. Thirdly, God's gift of health, biblically, is part of his last day message to prepare a people for the soon return of Jesus. You find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The message of health, thirdly, is not simply to give us a deeper experience spiritually today, but it is to prepare us for an end-time crisis. It is to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. Seventh-day Adventists believe that Jesus is coming soon. 
And Adventists believe that Christ is coming not to redeem an ethereal soul, but to redeem the entire person. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, your what? Spirit, soul, and body, be what? Be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming to redeem all of us. And because heaven saw that early Adventist health was breaking down, heaven saw that bodies were not prepared for the great event of the coming of Jesus. Heaven saw clearly that the health of these early Adventists was being destroyed. God revealed a precious gift of grace in the Adventist health message. Fourthly, God's gift of health is part of his witness to the world. God's gift of health is part of his witness to the world. God gave an ancient prophet, Ezekiel, a vision of the health message going to the world. Do you remember that vision? Ezekiel 47. There is a river, and the river flows from the throne of God in the sanctuary. Now, water in the Bible is a symbol of what? Water in the Bible is a symbol of what? People, uh, that is true. In Revelation, it's a symbol of peoples. That's okay. But Jesus said, I'll give you the water of life. Healing. Water is a symbol of life and healing. It is, in Revelation, a symbol of peoples as well. Sometimes in the Bible, you have multiple symbols. So water is a symbol. When Jesus says, I'll give you the water of life, the river of the water of life, it's a symbol generally of life and healing. In Ezekiel 47, there is an absolutely incredible vision. Ezekiel looks up and he sees coming from the sanctuary a river. And he sees a man. And the man is walking. And the river comes up to his ankles. Oh, we better look at it. You want to look at it? Okay, here we go. Ezekiel chapter 47. There's a man. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Still there, right before Daniel. Thought they moved it for a minute. Ezekiel 47. Okay, Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. What temple is this? Temple analogies are what? Sanctuary language. Brought me back to the temple of the door of the temple. There was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. And the water was flowing from the right side of the temple, south of the altar. And then the water was running to the right side. This water is going all over the place. Verse 3. Then when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me to the water. The water came up to my ankles. Uh Uh-oh, he's in trouble now. The water came up where? Verse 4, last part. The water came to his where? Waist. And uh, the water is coming. It flows from his waist, and and the man is wondering what's going on here. Verse 8, then he said to me, the water flows toward the eastern region, goes down to the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Verse 12. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. The water comes from where? The sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. The water represents the life that enables the tree to produce the leaves for medicine. What is the water 
that flows from the sanctuary specifically of healing. What is that? Medical Ministry 317. We shall see the medical missionary work broadening and deepening at every point of its progress because of the inflowing of hundreds of thousands of streams until the whole earth is covered with waters that cover the sea. So Ellen White is quoting from Ezekiel 47. And she says that God will have a great medical missionary movement. Men and women who unselfishly go out to serve others. Men and women who have a compassion for others. Men and women who have a desire to see others healed medic physically, mentally, and spiritually. There will be a great witness to the world because here is a prediction in Ezekiel 47 that is concerned with, that is confirmed by the modern day prophet that something will happen. What is it? From the throne of the sanctuary of God, the rivers of the water of life of medical missionary healing will flow and as the waters cover the sea, it will produce healing and the witness of God's people will go to the ends of the entire earth. This is the uniqueness of the Adventist health message. Now, don't misunderstand me. It is not true that Seventh-day Adventists originated natural remedies. You can go back and read Dr. Jackson. You can read Dr. Thrall. I was looking the other day at Dr. Jackson, not a Seventh-day Adventist. He talked about fresh air. He talked about walking. He talked about a whole grain diet before Ellen White. Seventh-day Adventists have never claimed to be originators of the health message. In fact, let me read a quote or two. E.J. Wagner. See, we think today that it's a new argument that Ellen White supposedly copied some of these health things. So I always ask the people who told me that she copied from Dr. Jackson and Dr. Thrall. I say this, how'd she know what to copy and what not to copy from some of these people? But anyway, here's what E.J. Wagner said. That argument was back in her day. And Wagner made a point, and it's the point I want to make now. Wagner says this. When placed on a level with the great truths of the three angels' messages by the sanction and authority of God's Spirit, and so declared to be the means whereby a weak people can be made strong to overcome, and our diseased bodies can be cleansed and fitted for translation, then it, the health message, comes to us as an essential part of present truth to be received with the blessing of God or rejected at our peril. This is the uniqueness of the Adventist health message. See, the uniqueness of the Adventist health message is not you go out and take a walk and go exercise. Secular, postmodern people can do that and they can be lost. It's not that you're a vegetarian. There are plenty of Hindus that are vegetarians. So it is not that you go out and get sunshine or fresh air. That's not the uniqueness. And it was not the uniqueness in her day. What Ellen White did is took the truths that God showed to her in vision. She looked at other writers in her day, pulled those things together, the truths, left off the errors, but set them in the context of spirituality and preparing a people for the coming of Jesus. Where the Seventh-day Adventist health message is unique, and it is unique, not in the fact of the individual parts, but in the fact of it is a message given by God to prepare a people for the soon return of Jesus Christ, to enable them to live a better quality of life here, to enable them to draw closer to him in a spiritual experience, and to enable them to be a powerful, powerful witness to the world. Here are the unique aspects of the Adventist health message. There are three. One, 
The message of health is part of God's last day message to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. No other church has that. That's unique. Two, a healthy body contributes to a healthy spiritual life. Most postmodern secular people have no clue of that. Three, a positive religious experience in your life adds for you better health. What an opportunity. Seventh-day Adventist physicians and dentists and medical personnel have to be an incredible blessing to the world. What a message that we have been entrusted with. To be able to use spirituality as a modality on that third point. The world is just catching up with where Adventists were. Do you know that 15 years ago, there were only three medical schools in the United States that had a distinct course on on spirituality and healing? Today, half of them have it. There is a sense today where the world is catching up and maybe going beyond where some Seventh-day Adventists are. Where some Adventist medical personnel may be hesitant to champion our uniqueness in the area of spirituality, just as Seventh-day Adventists were pioneers in the area of the five-day plan to stop smoking. I believe that Seventh-day Adventist physicians have a chance to be on the cutting edge of scientific research in the area of spirituality and health. I have no question about it in my own mind. You are cooperating with God every time you go into that office, every time you see a patient. You are not simply dealing with the body, but as a Seventh-day Adventist medical person, you are looking at the wholeness of humanity. You're seeing that whole person physically, mentally, spiritually. You're cooperating with God. Why? To produce healing in the body so the mind will be clear to understand God's will for your patient's life. That is a mission statement for your practice. I want to cooperate with God to produce healing in the body so the mind can be clear to understand God's message and so this person can live the greatest quality of life. Think of it. When that person comes into your office, you've gained access to their heart. A confidence bond is built up. You have met a physical need and people will be open spiritually. And when you help them spiritually, my point is that it will transform their lives physically. I was looking recently at a survey that was done in America regarding patients' attitudes to their physicians. And there were two aspects of the survey that had to do with spirituality. 77% of the patients said they'd like their physicians to pray for them. 77%. Then 72% said we would like to have a spiritually faith-based conversation with our physicians. That means three-fourths of the people coming to your office would like you to pray for them. Three-fourths. What if they're longing for prayer and you just saw 40 patients that day and they walk out without it? What if the person comes into your office, obese, overweight, they've tried to give up overeating, they just don't have the power? One physician prescribes them drugs to help them. The other physician gets their arm around them, prays with them, looks for the root causes, 
gets them on some natural program. I'm not suggesting there is no time for medication, no time or place for medication. You're far wiser than I in that area. I'm a preacher. There certainly is a time for medication. But I would suggest to you that we live in not an under-medicated society, but an over-medicated society. Do you agree with me? That our society is not under-medicated. It's over-medicated. That's why I'm... You know, S.N. Haskell, early Adventist pioneer, said this. It takes three ropes pulling in opposite directions to keep the tent pole straight. You know, these early Adventists used to have uh, camp meetings. He said, it takes three ropes pulling in the, all in opposite directions to keep the tent pole straight. Then he'd chuckle and say, the reason I'm pulling so hard on this rope is because the tent's leaning so far in the other direction. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the, seventh, what, what the Spirit says to the churches. The reason I'm pulling so hard on this rope of natural remedies is not because we are under-medicated, but because we're over-medicated. What about that godly physician that gets his arm around a person, talks to him about spirituality, introduces spirituality as a therapy? I have been amazed, as I have been looking recently, at a series of studies showing how spirituality makes a difference in physical life. This, to me, is a unique contribution. Let me just rattle off about five or six studies. International Journal of Psychiatry and Medicine, Journal 28, page 189 to 213. Here's a study of blood pressure. The relationship between religious activities and blood pressure was examined in a six-year prospective study of 4,000 older adults. Now, I recognize that many of these studies in religion and health, the sample's too small. I understand all that stuff. You know, I'm a preacher, but I still can research. I know how to read. Um, so I look for studies that are that are, you know, the statistical analysis is larger. So here's a study. 4,000 older adults among subjects who attended religious services once a week or more and prayed or studied the Bible once a day or more, the likelihood of dystolic hypertension was 40% lower. 40% lower. And these people are studying the Bible, praying. Study number two. Here's a study on depression that's uh, published by George Peterson and, and Koenig down at Duke, 1998. American Journal of Psychiatry, 155, Journal 155, page 536. He found that depressed patients who had a strong intrinsic religious faith recovered 70% faster from depression. See, this is where Adventists are so unique. I mean, we can help people with spiritual modalities. Uh, here is a study done in Marin County, 1931 older residents of Marin County, California. A study done by D. Omen and D. Reed, 1998, American Journal of Public Health. In a five-year perspective cohort study of 1931 older residents of Marin County, California, persons who attended religious services were 36 less likely to die during the follow-up period. Here is a study that is done um, that deals with interleukin-6, and it deals with largely the immune system. And the question is, what findings are there that suggests that religion helps to build a stronger immune system to, 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 to uh, deal with disease. Um, this is Journal of Psychiatry and Medicine, Journal 27, 233 to 250 is the study. Findings suggest that persons who attend church frequently have stronger immune systems than less frequent attenders. And he talks about how, they're, it, how they studies in 1986, 1989, 1992 predicted uh, that there would be lower plasma interleukin. And... Uh, it's, it's an amazing study that uh, deals with the building of the immune system. Um, here's a study on lifestyle done by Strawbridge in 1997. He studied uh, 
mortality over 28 years, and he said frequent church attendees were more likely to stop smoking, increase exercising, increase social contacts, and stay married, even after all variables were controlled for, the mortality difference persisted. If you have not seen the MSNBC September 19, 206 news study that was just published on faith and healing, it is certainly worth looking at. It is the study which um, is a study that points out that 72% of all Americans say they'd welcome a conversation with their physician. But it then goes on to say that I felt was quite fascinating. The woman who did this particular study looked at 150 studies on religion and health. She was not greatly impressed, and I could tell from reading the study that she was not, um, not impressed with the statistical difference of spirituality as it played to health. But she comes to the last paragraph, and I was reading the article, she comes to the last paragraph, and here's one that I would call a skeptic. And she says, one nugget, however, quote, blew my socks off. Now here's one that I think is looking at it skeptically, and she says, this blows my socks off. People who regularly attend church have a 25% reduction in mortality. That is, they live longer than people who are not churchgoers. This is true even after controlling for variables intrinsically linked to Sundays or Saturdays in the pew, like social support and a healthy lifestyle. She says, and the strange thing is, all this data is culled primarily from Christians. So here she's saying that Christians who are committed to God in church will tend to live significantly longer. Can I as a Seventh-day Adventist physician, health practicer, with all the information on health before me. That, and with all the evidence before me, that clearly indicates in the studies that the more I lead my patients to Christ, the better their health is going to be. Can I turn my back on that? Can I deprive my patients of that knowledge, of that Bible text, of that prayer that's going to radically change them inside to improve the quality of life and health they had? What a gift God gave the Seventh-day Adventist church. What a gift God gave Seventh-day Adventist physicians and dentists. What a gift a gift to improve the quality of our lives, a gift to enable us to live the most abundant lives possible here. What a gift. A gift to draw us closer to Jesus spiritually so our bodies could be the soul temple. What a gift. A gift that prepares a people for the coming of Jesus. What a gift. A gift that is a witness to the world. What a gift. As we integrate physical, mental, spiritual dimensions, it makes a difference echoing and re-echoing down the corridors of time. Speaking to your heart and mind this morning, there is an appeal. We've studied the need of the gift. We've studied the origin of the gift. We've studied the purpose of the gift. What about receiving the gift? What does God want to do in your life and mine right now? Please take your Bible and turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans the 12th chapter. What does God want to do in your life and mine? Is this merely information or is it a deep spiritual appeal from a loving God? 
Romans, the 12th chapter. Paul is urgent. His message spoke then and it speaks now. His message touched lives then and it touches them now. His message moved men and women then and it moves men and women now. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. What language? I beseech, I urge you, I appeal to you. This is no half-hearted a call. This is the apostle pouring his soul into something that for him is vital. This is no elective course in Christianity 101. This is no pre-primer. This is not something on the back burner. He says, I beseech you. I'm concerned about this. I'm appealing to you with all my heart and all my soul. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's saying, God has given you this health message in mercy. He's given you this health message through his grace. And I'm beseeching you to do something about it. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Again, what language is living sacrifice? What language is that? Where does that come from? Sanctuary. Mark this point and mark it well. The sacrifice was brought to the sanctuary alive, but it did not remain alive. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. The sacrifice is brought alive. I bring my body to Jesus Christ alive, but I die to this mortal fleshly body with its passions. Is there any physical practice in your life now that's not in harmony with God's will? Is there any physical practice that you as a health practitioner, that God is calling you to die to? Notice, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. They're brought alive, but they don't stay alive. Holy. The lamb that was brought was holy, without blemish acceptable to God. You see where it says, which is your reasonable service? Now, in the New International Version of the Bible, it does not say, which is your reasonable service. Does anybody have New International? Anybody have that? What does it say? Second, first verse, last part, not reasonable service. Wait, what is it? This is your spiritual act of worship. When, because you have felt as a physician anxiety and you reach for maybe a cup of coffee, or when there's some lifestyle practice in your life, Jesus says, I appeal to you as a spiritual act of worship. Give me your body and let me have full control of it. God is calling health professionals to be healthy. God is calling health professionals to give him their bodies as a spiritual act of worship. As I give him my body as a spiritual act of worship, I say, Lord, what is it in my life? Is it overwork? Is it lack of exercise? Is it nervousness and anxiety that causes me to gorge myself between meals? Is it still a struggle with meat 
what is it, Lord? What is it in the area of health that I haven't surrendered to you in my body? You see, the issue may not be the very thing that you are doing at all. The issue is this. Conversion comes at a test. Conversion comes at a test. What is the test that God is giving to you? What is he calling you to, to deeper surrender in that spiritual act of worship? And as we make that commitment, that surrender, his glory fills our life. And we become powerful witnesses to him in ways we can never imagine. It is the lack of surrender that inhibits the infilling of the body temple with his spirit so that we can see Revelation 18.1 fulfilled and the glory of God manifest to the world. Have you come to the place where you have surrendered everything you are and everything that's going on in your body to him. It may be a physical habit. There may be somebody here, though, and in a group this large, I would assume that there is, that's struggling with some sickness or disease. And maybe you've been battling against it. Maybe you have said, Lord, I follow the principles of health for much of my life. But why did I get sick? Why do I have this pain in my body? Why? Why am I going through this? I invite you today not only to surrender the habits to him, but surrender anything going on in your body to him. Pastor Robert Davis wrote a book called My Journey into Alzheimer's Disease. Now, those of you in the medical profession know well that Alzheimer's is a progressive brain disorder that destroys a person's memory, the ability to learn and reason and make judgments, carry out daily activities. As the disease progresses, it can go from anywhere from three years to 20 years. It's totally destructive. You become totally disoriented. You often become suspicious and angry. Alzheimer's is a horrible, horrible death to die. I want to read you Pastor Robert Davis's struggle with Alzheimer's and how he came to terms with it as an illustration of the surrender of your body to Christ. Here are his words. One night in Wyoming, as I lay in a hotel room crying out to my Lord, my long, desperate prayers were suddenly answered. As I lay there with my Alzheimer's in the blackness, shrieking out in the silence my repeated prayers, there was suddenly a light that seemed to fill my soul. The sweet, holy presence of Christ came to me. He spoke to my spirit and said, Take my peace. Stop your struggling. It's all right. This is all in keeping with my will for your life. Lie back in your shepherd's care. That night, I chose to take things moment by moment, thankful for everything I have, instead of raging wildly against the things that I have lost. Have you personally, as a physician, as a dentist, as a student, have you personally come to Jesus 
and said, Jesus, I am laying my body and my mind and my soul in the shepherd's hands. I am giving to him everything I have. And Lord, I'm not going to battle with you anymore about those habits. I'm laying them down. I'm not going to struggle anymore over what's going on in my body. I'm simply resting. Resting in peace in the shepherd's care. As we bow our heads quietly in the recesses of your soul, would you like to take a moment and say, Jesus, I want to rest in the shepherd's care. Oh, my Father, my Father, we come to you today Even as medical professionals, there's a lot going on in our bodies. Some of us have been having 70, 80 hours a week and we're exhausted. Some of us still struggle with habits that we've wanted to surrender in the past, but we have held on to them. Some of us have strange things going on in our bodies and we're even worried about them. We maybe haven't even confided in them with anybody else. Lord, we know that you want to use us in powerful ways to witness to the world. And so we come and give our bodies to you today. We rest in your love and in your care and your goodness. And Father, we want to see our practices be everything that heaven wants them. We want to be the powerful, mighty witnesses to our patients. We want merely not to practice medicine like the world. We want to be different as Christian practitioners as Seventh-day Adventist Christian practitioners. May we rise to our destiny and see the day when the medical missionary work will grow and fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Christ's name, amen.